Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders, technology leaders in higher education, and most importantly, students. To chat on hot topics, share solutions, collaborate, and envision the future of higher education together. Let's illuminate higher education once and for all. Hello, everyone. My name is Kieran Kuritala. I'm founder of Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. We have an exciting guest for us today. His name is Dr. Jim Henderson. Jim Henderson has been the president of University of Louisiana System since 2017. If you don't know what University of Louisiana System is, University of Louisiana System is a public multi-campus university system dedicated to the service of Louisiana and its people. The system offers a broad spectrum of educational opportunities, ranging from technical training at the associate's level to research at the doctoral level. It encompasses nine diverse higher education institutions, including the historic, historic Grambling State University, and famous University of Louisiana Lafayette, University of New Orleans, to name a few. Dr. Jim Henderson was named Northwest Louisiana Business Hall of Fame Laureate in 2017, and he was inducted into the Northwestern State University's Hall of Honor, the Long Purple Line. Since his appointment, Dr. Henderson has led the universities of Louisiana in the creation of a strategic framework that charges its universities to produce the most educated generation in Louisiana's history, drive growth through public-private partnerships and research, and recruit, retain, and develop world-class faculty who educate students, empower employers, and enrich communities. It's an incredible honor for me to introduce Dr. Jim Henderson. Dr. Henderson, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Listen, thank you. Thank you very much. What a delight it is to, to, to join with you and talk about some issues of significant import. Great. Uh, it's obviously a great honor to talk to you with your background, your history, and your leadership at New Zealand, University of Louisiana System. So one of the things I want to ask you is, we have moved from sage on stage model to right now maybe sage on computer model because of online learning and all the virtual learning models. And there are a lot of things that are going well with higher education, and there are some things that we can improve on. So as the president of University of Louisiana System, can you talk to us about some of the systemic enhancements we've made to higher education in the last 2000 years, and also where you see some of the opportunities are as well? Well, you know, uh, Leading an institution of nine distinct, uh, or a system of nine distinct institutions uh, is a bit of a challenge because every institution has a, a century or more of history, its own identity, its own um, uh, alumni base, if you will, its own set of stakeholders. And we try to strike a balance as a system to allow them to, to become the, the best institution they can be independently but at the same time, leverage that distinct identity towards some, some common good for the state of Louisiana. And it's uh, as a former president of my own alma mater at Northwestern State, I can understand uh, uh, the need for that balance. And at the same time, recognize that uh, collectively, we're much more powerful than any of us is individual. Uh, as we've watched some innovations, you know, of course, it, it's been the rapid advance of technology that's driving disruption in every industry, certainly in higher education. 
But when you go back over uh, uh, 200 years our, to our very core, you can see that that really we've, we've come from just about developing a select group of individuals to focusing on selecting masses or to, to improving lives of masses of individuals through, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the foundations of education all the way up through workforce development. And I think we've gotten better becoming very purposeful and meaningful in our work. Technology is just going to allow us to do that at a higher, at a greater scale. That's great. I think uh, you are talking about definitely a systemic enablement and also the workforce development, which is at the core of academy. Um, and I think what you're doing with the Louisiana system is amazing. And one of the things that I want to talk about is this, this concept you talk about is in that you are focused on not only educating the students, but also, you know, in your word, um, masses. So let me explain. So Diogenes is one of my favorite uh, Greek philosophers um, who predates Socrates has said the foundation of every state is the education of its youth. It looks like with what you've done with Compete Louisiana, a program designed to assist in 653,000 Louisianans, Louisianians with some college credit, but no degree. So uh, uh, the reason I like that and frankly love that is that one of the systemic problems with academy um, or universities in general is this concept that you're going to a university or college to earn a signal or a degree or a transcript. But most people, including employers these days, don't care about the paper you carry. They care about the skills that you have. That's number one issue. Number two issue is if you don't have, don't hit that magic age of right after high school, going to college and finishing your college within four to six years, you are forever disadvantaged because you're now in the job stream and you're unable to gain the needed skills to solve the problem. But from the looking, from looking at Compete Louisiana, it looks like you're solving the problem and realizing on this dream that Diogenes talked about where foundation of every state is the education of its youth, but you're taking it to the next level saying the foundation of Louisiana is education of all the Louisianians. So I love that so much. I would like for you to explain how you see the Compete Louisiana being a transformational force for every Louisianian, not just a high school student, but anybody who's trying to do a lifelong learning also. Well, thank you for that introduction. And Compete Louisiana is one of the most exciting initiatives that I've ever been a part of. And, and put it in context, I have uh, two windows in my office that face different directions. One overlooks the mighty Mississippi River, which is about a mile wide here in Baton Rouge. Uh, the other window overlooks uh, one of the largest refineries in the United States, the ExxonMobil refinery. And they have long been for, for decades, foundations, pillars of the Louisiana economy and way of life. But when you look at the work that's performed, either in the refinery or on the river, it has transformed um, to a degree that, it, that almost exceeds description, defies description. And it's really because we have become masters of, of work processes, of, of automating, using technology to, uh, to improve productivity. And the challenge for us as a state that has long been focused, uh, we had an agricultural background, an energy background, a water background. If you had a strong work ethic, that was sufficient to be successful. But now you need so much more than that. That's, those are great, great traits to bring with you to the workplace. But you also need to know how to think critically. 
how to solve problems, how to communicate effectively. Work as part of a team with teammates that may come from completely different backgrounds and cultures than you do. That's a, that's a much broader skill set that you have to bring forward. And when you look at our historic educational attainment rate in Louisiana, we've always fallen quite short of other states by comparison uh, in educational attainment. Well, those skill sets that I mentioned are those that have typically been associated with a college degree. In fact, the degree itself has been a proxy for saying, okay, they have achieved something in regards to this. And we'll, we can come back and, that and drill down in a, in a few right. minutes. But uh, when you look at Louisiana, 653,000 adults with some college and no degree, you start asking yourself, okay, well, what happened? And so many things can happen to derail someone from completing their degree. Uh, it's finances, it's a big problem. Uh, sometimes it's uh, a job opportunity. It's not always a negative. Sometimes a job opportunity arises. Uh, it makes sense for you to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but guess what? The price of natural gas can fluctuate. And so that $14 per MCF of natural gas that gave you a great paycheck drops down to $2. And all of a sudden that work right. is no longer here. And so you look at those that, that did start college and didn't finish. They're adults that have more obligations than ever before. They have family obligations. They typically have financial obligations. Stopping what they're doing and coming back to a tra tra traditional environment and finishing college is not going to work for them. That's right. We created an intervention right, that eliminates as many of the barriers as possible, cuts through the red tape, cuts through what I call the administrivial. And we give you back what is that most important commodity of the working age adult, and that's time. So you that's can awesome. focus exclusively on finishing what you started, getting that credential that validates uh, these, these core competencies that you have developed in addition to discipline-specific uh, uh, skill sets. And it empowers you with control of your own economic future, right? That's that's great for, for Louisianans. It's great for Louisiana employers. And certainly it's great for, for just the quality of life in, in a state that I, that, I've, uh, uh, that I love. That's amazing. So how do you achieve that? I think I understand that you're creating a vehicle for lifelong learners so that they can come back to college. Are they more online programs? Are they more... Um, or programs where it's like correspondence, where they can go to campus once in the night for adult learners. Explain what are some of the options available for Louisianians to take advantage of Compete Louisiana? So of course, the vast majority of the programs uh, offered through Compete Louisiana are online. So you can take them from, from the comfort of your own home at a, a, a time convenient for you. So we're bringing education to the learner. What distinguishes this program from other online opportunities, and, and that's one of the great advances in higher education, is there's so many different access points, right, for you as the learner. With Compete Louisiana, you're taking an online class, but it's from a university that you know and love, that's in your community. And so you have the totality of the support structure that's there in, in, in a geographically accessible place. But at the same time, you enjoy all of the benefits and flexibilities that come with, with high quality online education. And we found that, that a lot of our, uh, our learners need that extra scaffolding, if you will, to, to and sometimes it's just psychological to know sure, it's available, absolutely. even if you don't avail yourself of it, right? To know that it's there can be a real source of comfort. Plus the addition of the coach. We have a, a, a concierge that stays by your side from the moment you express interest until the day you graduate and walk across that stage for that diploma. Uh, they're with you to ensure that 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 
all of your needs are being met, all of your questions are being answered, and that you have a single point of contact instead of having to go through the maze that sometimes we can create in higher ed with all the great services that we offer. That's great. So one of the other uh, things that we were talking about as part of the podcast, we had uh, David Blake, who was the co-founder of Degreed, uh, who joined. And one of the things that he talked about was, what if somebody who wants to get a certificate for, let's just take your refinery example, like there's, let's assume that there is a job called refinery mechanic, and he has been working in the refinery for 10 years. And there's a certificate program called refinery mechanic certification. So the issue that I see with most academies is that even though this person has 10 years of education, he still has to go through, sorry, 10 years of experience, he still has to go through an education to prove that he has it. Is there a mechanism for them to use their life experience and gain credits as part of Complete Complete Louisiana? Or is that something you're thinking about as part of the transition into a more holistic lifelong learning program? Well, it is part of Compete Louisiana, but it's been a, a part of our offerings, even in more traditional settings uh, for some time. And by the way, I, I love the work of Degreed. I think that they get the language exactly right. right. I think that they got the value right. Uh, but we, we we call it prior learning assessment. Right. So PLA is something, uh, you know, I was involved with GLQF framework, Global yeah. Learning Qualifications Framework sure. as part of Empire State College. And I just to... And explain to the audience here, prior learning assessment is you submit your prior learning artifacts, whether it is your work product or your competencies, and an assessor reviews the assessment and says, based on all this, we can give you credit for Math 101, Chemistry 202, whatever the program is. And I think that's amazing. Uh, did I capture that correctly? Oh, you, you absolutely did. And it's so important, especially for, because you think about some of those work experiences. And even in those 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 uh, more abstract core competencies we talk about, like critical thinking and problem solving, a, a lot of times over the course of a 10-year career or 12-year career, uh, someone is developing measurable competencies in those areas, right? And so prior learning assessment done in a, in a robust way and in a rigorous way uh, can actually uh, help define your attainment of those competencies. And it puts you in the right place at the right moment in your life so that what you're focused on is gaining this new skill sets or you're refining some of the old ones that you may have, uh, have already uh, uh, developed. You're, you're refining them and developing even in, in, at a higher level. Uh, I think it makes more sense. It's, it's, it's making education not just accessible, but meaningful to the learner. Absolutely. That's great. Um, and now I want to switch it to a, you know, more of your personal story, um, because I think for if I un, if I see your profile correctly, you worked at uh, Northwestern University, um, one of part of the Louisiana system, and then you committed yourself to higher education. I would like to know what drives you, what made you decide on this? Was it an accident or was it a purposeful, deliberate decision? Um, how did Dr. Jim Henderson become who he is? That's, you know, like all great things in life, it, it, it's a combination of, of preparation and good fortune. And, I, you know, I happened to, I was raised in a home of, of educators. Both of my parents had advanced degrees. My mother actually, uh, after she'd gotten her doctorate, went back to get another degree in library science. And uh, I was very young at the time, so forgive me, this was a youthful statement when your mom's <laughs> getting a degree in library science. 
you know, I think the first thing I said to her was, well, mom, why do you need a degree to teach you how to check in and check out books? Oh, no. <laughs> so she made me read her thesis and I learned my lesson and I learned. And, and now I have a love and affinity for librarians that, that, that knows no bounds. Uh, so I grew up around education, but also had the opportunity to work in a number of fields in the private sector before coming into education where I saw the limited opportunities afforded those who have not had access to education. I'm talking about people that could perform at a very, very high level, yet they're working at, at barely a subsistence wage. And it was, uh, it was something that, that, that impacted me at a very deep level uh, because of family circumstances and, and, and other things. I found myself not in a place to move with my private sector work and an opportunity emerged to, to go to work for the State Department of Labor hmm. as they were trying to, to, to really develop a, a, a workforce development uh, mode of operation, if you will. And they were struggling with some business aspects of that. And so it was just a, a conspiracy of circumstances that led me to the world of public workforce development. And when you see a, a few of the wins in workforce development and you see that that magical occurrence that, that, that again defies description of someone that has uh, gotten the credentials that opens so many new doorways for them and they can advance and they can take care of their families that that is that is the, the best kind of 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 addiction right it, 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 it absolutely uh, i don't know if it's, it releases endorphins or it releases adrenaline whatever it is uh it's that magical high that you get from watching someone take control of their destiny and so it was not long after that that Walter Bumpus, who's now the president of AACC, American Association of Community Colleges, was mm -hmm. leading uh, the, the relatively newly founded Louisiana Community and Technical College system. He uh, oh. called me and said, listen, uh, uh, I'd very much like you to come and, and, and help us bring this system forward. I said, I, I really know nothing about community and technical colleges. And he said, that's probably a good place. You're starting with a blank piece of paper. <laughs> and I, I got the great benefit of, of working under his leadership, his mentorship, his friendship. And at the same time, was able to bring some new ideas to the table, some new approaches to the business that maybe weren't as uh, restricted as it would have been if I'd had a history coming up from, from the ground floor. Uh, that led me to a chancellorship at Bossier Parish Community College, a wonderful school in, in a rural part of Louisiana, and then opened the door for me to uh, ascend to the presidency of my alma mater at Northwestern State. Uh, there is no greater field of work, in my opinion, than education. Absolutely. You see the transformational power right in front of you, and it's, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary blessing that I get to work in this field. Right. I think you summed it up very well. Like there's no, I think you're, you're right. Um, working in education myself, like um, I moonlight as a podcast host, but my real job is working as a CEO of a company called end to end services, where we specialize in higher education technology, where we allow universities to connect different systems. And, um, you know, a lot of investors ask me, like, why are you, like, integration is such a hot thing. There's so many exciting things you can do for yourself. Like, why are you doing it in education? And, you know, my answer is probably very similar to what you are saying in that, yeah, we can probably make a lot more money if I was working in Silicon Valley, but the the look you see on a student's face when they're opening a mobile app and, you know, uh, accessing their learning content or registering for their courses or whatever they can do with technology is something that 
you won't get it when you're working, I don't know, in Facebook, I guess. Um, I'm sure they have their own way to look at it. But I think that the big thing I look at it is just like you're saying is that education gives me a sense of purpose, right? Um, and uh, and it feels like you're thinking the same way. Uh, it's, it's amazing that your personal story is so much welded into your own uh, upbringing itself, the fact that you're both your parents are educators. Um, it's um, it's really amazing that you're committed yourself to transforming education. Um, and there's like, there's a couple of things that come as an extension to that. Um, you know, I think uh, I remember uh, John Dewey, another great American philosopher, um, he said something some similar to what you said, where education is not preparation for life. Education is life itself, right? And once we understand that, you know, it really makes it makes our rationalization or reasoning easy. Um, but this brings me to the other more difficult question on life itself. So you're in Louisiana, one of the, you know, one, one, with one of the highest African-American populations in America and uh, Grambling State Universities is one of the most historic HBCUs founded in 1901. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you was I've seen some of your videos on LinkedIn, um, reaching out to your campus community in general, but also higher ed community in particular at the wake of George Floyd incident. And there's a couple of, you know, in-depth questions about it. But the first question is, we are at this crossroads between social justice, racial justice, and education, I feel like is a big part of that crossroads. And I would like to hear your thoughts on how we can overcome this racial and social divide or socioeconomic divide. And what role does education play in this overcoming, if you will? You know, this is such an important issue. And it's one that, that is our system, University of Louisiana system has been uh, uh, a central focus for us. I, I think back to uh, about 14 years ago, I had the opportunity to, to attend a recitation by Maya Angelou uh, here in Baton Rouge, uh, a recitation of her poems and her writings, which at a point in, the, in her program, she went away from her own writings and, and read some, some others. And one was uh, a poem from Langston Hughes. Okay. And I'll never forget it when she said that tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed because I too am American. Wow. And it was one of those moments that was almost a kick to the stomach because it, it, it made me realize just how important education is in providing that seat at the table. And so when you bring up Grambling State University, which is a part of our system, uh, Founded in 1901 when some farmers of color in, in the Piney Woods in North Louisiana said, we want opportunities for our children. And they wrote to the Tuskegee Institute and Charles P. Adams arrived and, and opened what is now a historic institution. And I think about the presidency of Ralph Waldo Emerson Jones, who brought in a guy named Hutch Hutchinson, who created what I think is the greatest marching band on the face of the planet and brought in Eddie Robinson, who became the greatest college football coach uh, in, the, in the history of college football. Yeah. And, and the three of them, transformable, transformable leaders, trans, transformational leaders, 
that had visions that, that exceeded any reasonable expectation and what they created there and the number of lives that's changed. Fast forwarding to today and how that mission is even more critical than ever before. And I'm watching with, with great excitement, great enthusiasm, the renaissance that's occurring at Grambling State and at HBCUs across the country as they're being championed as, as a part of the solution for where we are. They are just a part. And That's it's right. incumbent upon all of us at all levels of education to find ways to ensure that, that we are becoming that transformational, that enabling mechanism, that, that mechanism that is our only choice, that our only solution to reach equity, to reach our potential as a people, Yep. As a potential is, is all people. And so it, it's been a great blessing for me to watch Grambling's role in that, but certainly our entire system come together and say, you know what? It's not just about addressing the needs of Louisiana. We've got to recognize we've got a history with, with populations that have been unable to fully access what we offer. And now's the time to get back to the restorative work to, to change that. That's amazing. So there's multiple answers to this whole puzzle of social justice and racial justice and education does play a big part of that right but the the question is it's a it's hard it's hard to really and you know answer this in any singular or linear fashion but i think it's something we should just think about if you think about education like if you look at social justice itself is it's also hierarchical like there is there is multiple layers to this uh, problem and the layers are the problem, right? That's the number one. But even in education, I see that there is that hierarchy, if you will. You have Ivy League schools, um, you have you know, your Harvards and Yales of the world, you have your UCs, University of California systems of the world, you have your private universities, you have your um, you know, typical four-year colleges, and then you have your community colleges, then you have vocational and technical schools, and you know somewhere in the mix there's HBCUs that, that can fall in the gamut, right? And I'm not saying any of that is truly stratified um, because HBCUs are in all the categories, but the hierarchy is still there. And I feel like, and how do you solve the problem of hierarchy in social justice, whether it's social or economic or racial divide by education itself being fragmented like that? What can we do better to allow a rural Louisiana student to aspire to go to, uh, you know, Yale University? Um, you know, what, what are some things that we can do uh, when, especially when things like affirmative call, affirmative action are no longer considered legal? So, as president of Louisiana, first of all, I want to let you react to this position that if the issue that we have is social justice itself is because of hierarchy and layering, and if education itself is somewhat layered, um, either indirectly or directly, how do you fix the problem? And second, how do you transcend the social economic divide um, when there is divisions within the education system itself? Well, you know, I... I, I I think that there's some, some there are some challenges in the way that, that education is stratified and the hierarchical nature of it, but sometimes I think we 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 might overstate that even, and 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 sometimes we should celebrate the diversity of our higher education institutions because they are so different, and the learners that we serve are 
similarly stratified and, and different, come That's from right. different backgrounds, different levels of preparation. You know, I, I've, I've grown in, to love the, the work of the community college. And, and I think back to it, when I was at Bossier Parish Community College, how we created a program that quickly brought students that had not finished high school and during a semester got them their, what was then called the General Accordance Diploma, GED, but at the same time gave them 12 hours of college credit, right? So that they could finish that in one semester. But at the same time, that same semester, we created the first transferable associate of science and engineering. This degree had four levels of calculus as part of degree completion at the same community college that was doing uh, deep developmental education and preparing students to go and transfer to any of the great engineering universities that I now get to oversee in my career. Right. So, so, so that college was meeting the needs of its local community. And then I think about my daughter who wanted to go to a small liberal arts school. She wanted to take time to read the classics who wanted That's to awesome. come to, yeah, to assess her faith and, and to, and to come to some, some truths, right? Some deep philosophical truths. And, and it was an extraordinary experience for her. It was transformational for her. And my son, who just graduated in December, who was academically uh, uh, excellent, he could have gone to any university in the nation. And he came down to two, one very prominent, uh, extraordinary institution of higher learning, the private institution out of state. And one was a research institution, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And he chose mm. the latter. And I watched how that was exactly the environment that he needed, where you had faculty that embraced him and gave him opportunities he couldn't have anywhere else. Similar to HBCU, I see so many students that, that have come up through high schools and, and I've got to interact with them. They were classmates of my, student, of my children and, and we talk about what their, what their goals are, where they see themselves. And you know what, an HBCU may be the best approach for them. By the way, we just elected an HBCU graduate as vice president of the United States. <laughs> exactly. Now, listen, from an I Ivy League caliber HBCU. That's right. But, but still an HBCU grad. And, and, and I, uh, we just recently uh, had an appointment to the federal uh, uh, appeals court in Louisiana. His degree from law school at Southern University, another HBCU, public HBCU. And so I think there's what we're showing is multiple success stories, multiple entryways, and pathways that meet the student where they are and give them the most direct, most most uh, a supportive path to that out, ultimate outcome of being a learner, right? Sure. And, and you know this. And look, my, one of my favorite uh, uh, philosophers slash longshoremen named Hoffer said uh -huh. that in times of change. Learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. <laughs> I love we're, it. <laughs> we're creating learners, and they're going to be ready to adapt to whatever this future work throws at us. That's amazing. That's great. I think uh, I think you summarized uh, not only the divide uh, very well, and also celebrating the diversity is absolutely critical. Um, there's one. I think you kind of broached the subject. Uh, I think I want to. I want you to delve into it a little bit. Uh, I think the the issue that when we talked about socioeconomic divide is that like your your son example, your family example is interesting, right? Because you are from yourself from a family of educators and you're the president of Louisiana system. So your son is uniquely advantaged in that you, you know, he has the 
pedagogy and the background to rise up to that. A lot of high school kids, especially in Louisiana, Alabama, they actually are ill-prepared for college degree. And that's why the first year college dropout in you know most of the states is over 40%, but in Louisiana, it's over 60%. I'm not sure about the NLU system, sorry, uh, the Louisiana system. And I want to hear about how we are building a better pipeline between high school and college and how we are better supporting them. Because I think that's the only way we can help them better, right? If we just assume that if a kid that goes to school in Boston in the best private school uh, is going to behave or you know, he's going to understand the topics exactly the same way as a student that went to a school, college, or high school in a rural Louisiana and just be able to pick up the topics, we are lying to ourselves. But how are we creating that bridge so that a student in Louisiana that needs more help or a, a hypothetical rural student in Louisiana that needs more help is given the support he needs to prepare better for college or, um, you know, not prevent them from dropping out? That's the question. Well, not to keep going back to stories, but there was uh, about 12 years ago, uh, two women came into to my office here in Baton Rouge mm -hmm. that had been uh, high school teachers. And they said, we want to tell you what we do. We, uh, we were teachers. We got so frustrated seeing great students. And we would ask them, what are you going to do when you graduate? And they had no idea. They didn't know about taking the ACT test, which was our then the, the, the test for, for admission into college and for our state's uh, scholarship program. They didn't even know how to apply, how to, how to fill out the FAFSA. So many different things that we just take for granted, especially students that grow up in, in, in multiple generation college uh, attendance, high schools or uh, households. So they said, we want to immerse ourselves in three high schools in East Baton Rouge Parish. And we want to help students starting their junior year with the mechanics of how they get ready for, for college. Because That's awesome. And I said, well, that's that's great. I want to help you do that. But instead of just doing those three schools, what if we did all eight parishes, which for your listeners are mostly it's county. counties, right? How do we do all eight parishes around Baton Rouge? And they flinched, but just for a second. And they said, you know what? We'll take it on. That's awesome. I moved, I moved to North Louisiana. They came there. They're at a high school where my father had spent his career as a, as a coach and teacher and, and, and principal. And he said, we want you to come here and meet with some of these juniors in high school. One of those juniors had a, a 26 on the ACT. She had a 3.7 high school GPA, was taking high level courses. And she had no idea what she was gonna do upon graduation. Huh. And we said, have you thought about going to, to college? And she started to, to tear up. She said no one had ever told her that she could go to college. Oh. And what what a you know what a statement that was. And and so I think back on now the, the dozen years of work that Career Compass of Louisiana has done to try to address right in, at a very late point in their career those right. that, that that we've got to get on the right track. Because listen, we come up with so many solutions that are targeted early on, and those are important but you've got masses of students that are already so far down the pipeline, you've got to create solutions that hit them at those multiple points where That's they right. are. You know, Compete Louisiana, we talked about earlier, is one for those that are already adults. But having different interventions at different points along the way that can ensure students are knowledgeable about the opportunities that are there for them and help them prepare themselves to take full advantage of those opportunities. You mentioned rural Louisiana. 
I was getting ready to, to step on an elevator with a young student that was coming from a, a, a very, very rural high school to take her to a place where she could take a, a, a placement exam. It's on the third mm-hmm. floor of our building. And uh, the, the elevator door is open and I step, I'm about to step on and, and, and she was hesitant. I said, what, what's the matter? Are you claustrophobic? And she says, no, I've never been on an elevator before. Oh. Can you imagine? It, and that was the limit of her experiences. And then I saw her grow and transform at that at that school, and now she's doing quite well. But that's where we're, we're we're actually meeting some students, and getting them at the point where they are, and helping them get to the point where they need to be, uh, is is just is is the most rewarding thing I can do. Yeah, I love the anecdotes because I think uh, a lot of times we just talk about like fly by the wire type things, the looking at things 100,000 foot level, 10,000 foot level. But at the heart of it, um, you're absolutely correct. The only way education can move forward is if we understand our consumers, which is students, and personalize it as much as we can. So, you know, how does a um, Louisiana system, like do you have the resources you need in that uh, to be able to support that level of intervention and support the students? Um, Can you explain if the pandemic has made things worse or, um, you know, or not? Well, the the pandemic pandemic has certainly been uh, uh, a challenge that that, that scale is, is indefinable. Uh, but some some observations from from the pandemic. I think back to March 9th of this year when I had the nine university presidents here in my office uh, to discuss our legislative strategy for the year. Hmm. Of course, that agenda just got thrown in the shredder. Right. We were talking about how do we uh, move 92,000 students from a traditional on, uh, in-person environment to an online environment in the next 10 to 15 days. <laughs> That's That's an impossible task. (laughs) But because of the faculty at our institutions, faculty that that do this work because it's a calling in many ways, the dedication and resilience that they demonstrated to to do that impossible task and to do it quite well is uh, a memory that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my career. And then the work that they did over the summer they said, okay, we, we created a learning environment, but it certainly wasn't an optimum learning environment. What are the things that we need to do to prepare for the fall to ensure that we are maximizing the experience for the students that are going to be in a place that, that, that no one had, had, had factored into their planning a year ago? And that work continues. I think it shows, one, this incredible resource that we have within our system, but certainly as a nation, in the faculty that are the chief learning providers for the students that we serve. They are subject to criticism. They're subject to so many different uh, pieces of commentary that that are just, to me, are, are truly unfortunate because they fail to understand that the faculty at our universities are the single most important aspect of the college uh, progression for students. And the right. faculty are, hold the destiny of really of our country, of our state, of our of our people in their hands. And 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 this is for me celebrating faculty is going to be the most important thing that comes out of, of COVID nineteen. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you're you're right. There's unnecessarily 
politicization of faculty in higher education and, and teachers in K through 12, even talking stuff like unions or tenures is, is kind of ridiculous. When you look at the fact that higher education, especially technical and community colleges are doing so much more with so much less, especially even before the pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, the same faculty member is that used to just teach in the classroom is doing online learning, hybrid learning, blended learning, and classroom learning, and creating Zoom videos or Teams recordings, and keeping it all together just so that they are committed to their learners is, is something to be celebrated. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And, and you know, and, and so part of this, this process is they've learned how to utilize technology, right? In a, in a much, right. they've, they've been using technology, but, but many who might've shot away from it had a more traditional approach have found ways that technology, not that it replaces their role, but how it enhances their role. And it can take over some of the, the more meaningless or the more repetitive or the more mundane aspects of delivering education and empower them to, 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 to use the totality of their teaching skills, their educating skills in a more effective way. I think that that's gonna be one of the things that comes out of this is faculty are gonna realize that technology is, 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 is not a threat that technology is actually a uh, an incredibly powerful mechanism to to one to do things at a, at a at a, a more effective way at a greater scale. Now, not necessarily per faculty member, right? We we got to be careful right. not to start using these these manufacturing uh, <laughs> standards of of efficiency. That's ridiculous. This is a learning environment, but it allows faculty to 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 spend more time on that value added component of their work. And it's probably the work that they enjoy the most. Yeah, I think so. I think there's one one thing that uh, a lot of uh, university administrators have seen with the pandemic is that once we start looking at the fact that we don't need, uh, most students don't need a faculty member to teach things on the whiteboard or a blackboard. They are They can do that by themselves, by watching a video on Coursera or Canvas or wherever. But what they need help with is when they, you know, when they read that video, when they have questions, they can go to a faculty member and say, I need some clarification on this. That's when the facilitation really comes in. And I think that is where if we can delegate the teaching part of education to technology, then faculty will be focused on personalizing education, where they can talk with each individual student and give them the individual attention they desperately need. And I think the pandemic has actually proven that we can do that. We can delegate most of the teaching to technology, and that gives us a lot more time to do personalized learning. Do you agree with that assessment, or do you think we'll just go back to the old status quo? No, I, I, I agree in large part, and let me try to, to, to say it in a different way. I think that uh, what we're showing is there's there's a multitude of ways to engage in knowledge acquisition for students, right? Using technology to get the knowledge piece. And faculty then can devote much more time on understanding and application, which are those higher level cognitive skills that all of the economists, and if you want to view it from solely a workforce development perspective, all of the economists are showing that, that low-level cognitive skills and menial labor skills are those that are gonna be less important going forward. Those high-level cognitive skills, those social-emotional skills, those technological literacy skills are the ones that are gonna drive the future. 
Oh, and by the way, those happen to be based on these core competencies that have been the foundation of the academy for over a thousand years. That's awesome. Right. So it comes full circle, but really faculty can focus on um, understanding and application. Great. Um, I know we are coming to the top of the hour. I would like to ask you this last question on like ignoring all the social constraints, regulatory constraints, technical constraints. If you were to build a vision for higher education 10, 20 years from now, what would that look like in your mind where we can truly focus on higher education as a change agent, whether it's social, economic, social equality or economic equality or uh, racial equality, where higher education is truly a transformative force what would that look like? What are some of your future predictions, if you will? Well, I, you know, that's that's a weighty question. It's going to take us the next three hours to go through uh, <laughs> and answer. But but really, it's a, it's it's about one. It's it's accessibility. It's uh, it's student success. And one, it's about meaningfulness. We're going through a, a a process right now where we're looking at our core, our core curriculum. And saying, okay, what is it that the core really does? Are we articulating it well? What, what are the core competencies? Are we uh, identifying those core competencies? And then are we assessing the attainment of those core competencies in multitude of ways, not just with a test, right? But right. Mul multiple ways to assess the attainment of that. So that at the end of the day, when I get this, this piece of paper that I've struggled so hard to get, that I've spent so much time and energy to get, that I've paid so much money to get, that it's more than just a sheepskin to hang on my wall, that it's a testament that I have the knowledge, skills, and ability that are the foundation of that document, what that document represents. Uh, it, it is, I do not think by any stretch that we're anywhere close to the degree losing its value. That's right. If we can define and, and, and articulate what that value is, and we're going to see more and more people that 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 uh, are pursuing education, not just because they want the next job, but because they realize that a higher education is one a pathway to to great careers, but it makes me adaptable for whatever that next career is going to be. You think about how, how many app developers were we were we producing ten years ago? Very few. Not many. <laughs> what is an app, right? At the time. These kinds of innovations are going to continue to emerge. They're going to continue to emerge, I think, at an advancing rate. What we have to do is prepare adaptable learners for whatever the future affords us. That's right. And, and you know, it, it's, it's a blessing to be part of this work uh, because I do think it is transformational uh, individually and collectively. That's what's going to help us achieve some of the social justice that we've talked about at the same yeah. time preparing individuals to lead their best life. That's amazing. I really enjoy talking to you. And especially I like the concept of adding meaning to it, learning uh, instead of saying learning or degree is just a piece of paper that you can hang on the wall. Um, and the fact that you have shown a sense of purpose as your reason why you're working in higher education. You know, we are we have so much in common. Dr. Jim Henderson, I'm pretty sure we'll get a chance to talk to you again. I would love for you to join the podcast anytime. And again, thank you so much for joining the podcast and explaining your vision and your leadership and your direction for the Louisiana system. Thank you so very much. Listen, thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to many, many conversations on what I think is the most important work of our time. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by Entuan Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2nservices.com. That's podcast at n2nservices.com. Thank you.